I was desperate, you know, at the time I was 17, 18, unemployed, you know, and I was desperate to, you know, to get a break. And I knew that if I did get a try, I would, you know, I would grab the chance. I think it was always going to be boxing. I mean, I stepped into the gym as a 10 or 11 year old. Boxing just took hold of my heart straight away. I love everything about the sport of boxing. Hello, I'm Marie Crow, and this is We Become Heroes, the RTE sport podcast that explores how lead athletes and sports people reach the top of their game and the lessons that they learned along the way. Now, I'm delighted to say that my guest today is former Ireland rugby player, Tony Ward. Tony, first and foremost, how are things? How's life? It's great, Marie, I have to say. Um, I'm living down in beautiful Greystones over the last few years, and uh, I, I discovered um, what's all around our shores. I, I swim every day and I just absolutely love it to right through the winter. So a whole new lease of life. So in, in, in good shape. Yeah, well, yeah. you look great anyway. And I think when people think of you, Tony, they think of the ultimate, I suppose, male specimen when it comes to, to health and fitness and sport, a, a complete athlete. But just like when you do get that little bit old, older, is it difficult to stay fit or do you find that it's a really important part of, of what you're about still? Yeah, what I found hardest, uh, ridiculous as my sound was, soon after I retired, I found immediately I stopped exercising. And it was in that first year or 18 months, I got a real shock, you know, uh, to the system. So I've always tried, I've never been a gym bunny or anything like that, but I joined a gym and just did, you know, basic stuff. But since I've been here, just, um, and I suppose with lockdown and everything, uh, the timing was right. So it's the fact I walk every day, I swim every day, and I just feel, you know, so much better mentally and emotionally um, and physically, obviously, but all those things combined. So, yeah, life's good at the moment. Thanks, Marie. Is it is it difficult as well, like when you are a sports person and, and sport is such an important part of of um, your your character and I guess your identity to to get a little bit older and to maybe not have that association and that ability as well? Uh, I don't know. I suppose, um, yeah, I mean, I'll always be associated with sport, but um, gosh, I, I, you know, I'm struggling with that, to be honest. Um, uh, you know, all I'll say is that thank God I played sport because the one cliche that you hear way back, as you know yourself, is how you make friends for life. And I have to say, as we go on, that's been the real beauty, you know, and I, I, I think if anything, you become even closer and friendlier, even with your rivals. Uh, I give you the most obvious example we may talk about some say Jolly Campbell and I are particularly close and have become more so over the years. So I, I think it's that bond you've got that, that really develops even more as you go through life. And certainly that's been the case for me anyway. I think a lot of people are going to be fascinated about you and Ollie Campbell. So like, how did that friendship come about when, where, how? Tell us more. <laughs> uh, I suppose with Ollie, when you go back to school, we used to play against each other. He went to Belvedere on the north side, I might add. I was in, uh, I went to Mary's on the south side and we'd play against each other in the school's cup. So I guess at senior level was the first time we would have, senior school's level was the first time we'd get to know each other. Um, and then obviously we became uh, very close rivals over the years. Um, and it's just through, you know, the, the the normal channels, I guess. But because we then both became um, very prominent in the international scene um, with Ireland on the lines, etc., uh, it became a more interest to people. Um, so yeah, it was you know, the the obvious way. A lot of people become rivals early on, but certainly we become closer as friends as the years have gone by. 
Um, was it hard to become friends with him or was it just a natural thing? Like when, when we think of rivals, I guess we do think people that essentially probably don't like each other, even though it is a competitive thing. It, it's not personal, but like, did he, did the friendship come easy? It did. And that was part of the problem, Marie, I have to be honest with you. Um, I, you know, when the rivalry became really intense in the late 70s, early 80s, um, and, you know, I, I, I know it's different today with sports science and psychology and so I moved on to another level. I accept that. But we were every bit as competitive in our day and we did the same mental rehearsal as you would do for big games and prepared in, in the right way. Uh, or what was the right way at the time. And I know preparing for a big game, whether it was for um, Gary Owen against Belvedere, or whether it was for Munster against Leinster, or whether it was a final Irish trial, or whatever it was, uh, I'd prepare as he would, uh, as diligently uh, as any, uh, you know, and I, I won't bow to professionals on this, as any professional we did. That's how serious we took our sport at the time. But preparing for your big game, I, I, I had a great lecture in uh, NCP, uh, PJ Smith, uh, Dr. PJ Smith, and PJ was ahead of his time in terms of exactly that. You know, he, he'd have us rehearsing things that would go wrong in games or micro wrong, so you prepare for that. So I'd be doing that all week, preparing for the game and, and trying to build up, I guess, a sort of hatred towards this guy Campbell who'd be wearing the 10 and the jersey opposite me. And honestly, and, and this is no, no lie, we'd go onto the pitch, we'd run out, I'd deliberately try and avoid eye contact or anything like that, as you would do normally, as guys today do and whatever the code. And then you'd be running, say you were crossing ends and we were playing the other way, whatever, and he'd tap you on the shoulder or the back or the backside and you're going by and just say, best of luck today, Wardy. And in that moment, all my prep had melted. <laughs> it was, it was So it was a different sort of relationship. Like there was Cohen Ovid at the time in athletics. You know, they were the, they were the, big, uh, the big rivals across the water. And this was a bitter and vicious one. Or I know Robin... Uh, Rob Andrew and Stuart Barnes and rugby didn't get on particularly well when they were competing against each other. Um, but we did. And I'm not sure it was to my benefit, I have to say, at the end of the day, in retrospect, would I swap it for anything? No. Like when you look at the the outhouse in Ireland, and you know, we had the Johnny Sexton Ronan Agara one, which is, is quite legendary, and they both spoke about it and ended up being friends. But since then, there hasn't really been anybody to challenge Johnny Sexton, and it's the uh, big part of the conversation now heading into any Ireland rugby games is the fact that nobody's really challenging him for that position. But when you think about it, I guess it's, you know, having that rival and having somebody who's, you know, at your heels is is ultimately a really good thing. Oh, absolutely. He's been pushing each other. To be fair to Johnny, he's managed to maintain a remarkably high standard, given that he hasn't been pressed for his position, um, whether with Leinster, and I know Ross Byrne and Harry Byrne are coming through, um, or indeed with Ireland, or Joey Carberry when he was there. He, he's obviously been a monster in the last few years. So to maintain the standards he has is absolutely remarkable. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I absolutely applaud him. They had a funny, it's funny, Ronan and uh, Johnny had a very different relationship. There was doggy dog right from the get-go. I mean, we always remember the famous pictures. I don't know whether it was in Lansdowne or Croker or somewhere, where one bellowing at the other. I don't know which was that, but one was as bad as the other. But that's how, um, that's, you know, how intense the rivalry was. But again, I won't bow to that. Ali and my, our rivalry was every bit as intense, but in a different way with a different background, if that makes sense. Um, it worked for us, um, more for him than for me, because invariably he was picked. 
uh, Ali, that is. You know, you take in the age factor, I think he's 37 this year. He's 99 caps. It's, it's the level of consistency he's maintained over the years. And he's seldom dropped below that standard. He's... Um, He's very focused, but we all are in that respect. What I admire most um, as a player is his game management. Like what I love to see um, in in an out half when he comes on. I remember after I'd retired, I remember the first one who really caught my my mind in this respect and caught my eye was uh, Eric Elwood when he came in because immediately when Eric came into the side, he had a presence in the position. And, and that's one thing I, I, you know, that you've got to see in your out half, your quarterback, whatever comparison you want to draw. And Sexton certainly has that. He's been, um, he's been a remarkable servant to Irish rugby. And in terms of longevity, like how, how long more do you think he can go? <sighs> I don't know. He's been having problems lately. Uh, obviously, he's been picking up a lot of injuries. And um, when you play in the 10 position in the modern game, and I, I don't actually even mean that because in our day, you were still in that channel and you were targeted um, by the opposition, you know, where a back row forward would aim to go down at the 10 or you'd have a centre coming inside. Um but, but definitely um, he puts himself up out there and he's not afraid to get physically involved. So he, he is a, a very brave player as well. Um, but, I, but I do think uh, the fact that he's having more injuries as you get older. And that, Marie, as we all know, is that it, the mind never changes. You, you, know, you think the same now as you did when you were you know, in your teens. And you do. And, and I'll hold my hands up to that. Um, but the fact is, when the body is, uh, you know, getting knocked around quite a bit, it begins to um, begins to feel it, and I, I think that's been happening to him of late. So hopefully, I, I'd love to think that he would make the next World Cup. I, I think it's a big ask, personally. And, and look, the onus is on all these young players coming through. I mean, I'm a Jack Carty fan, for example, um, who hasn't really. Uh, got the rub of the green in terms of selection. Um, I think Harry Byrne has something over and above the ordinary. Um, I, I've been really impressed with Ben Healy, in, in, you know, in, in particularly this season, because he's beginning to do what I'm talking about that I saw with Elwood back then. He's beginning to impose himself on the position. Um, so there are rivals there, but somebody, again, it's an express tape that's come into Irish rugby over the years, I guess from the Southern Hemisphere, but this thing of holding up your hands uh, there's got to be a 10 holding up his hand to really challenge Johnny and it has to happen soon um, because, you know, we, we shouldn't be talking about him in this light. I think it's fantastic for him that we are and a great reflection on him, but I don't think it's great for Irish rugby. How big an issue though is it because the Rugby World Cup isn't that far away where the Autumn International is heading to, into a Six Nations the games are going to come thick and fast. Andy Farrell is going to want to keep winning games. So the time for experiments is probably going to be, um, there probably isn't going to be much of it. So just looking into the near future, which is the Rugby World Cup, how big an issue is it that we don't have somebody that's automatically going to slot in there? Oh, it's a huge problem. I mean, the games we have coming up, we have Japan, we have the All Blacks, and we have Argentina. And... Um, 
Uh, I mean, there was a time we'd say, and it probably still is in the pecking order, that you would think the Japanese game would be the, in inverted commas, easiest of those three games. But Japan, as we saw at the last World Cup, I mean, I love their brand of rugby and I love the way New Zealand play rugby as well. I wish we did. I, I, I just think it's so exciting to watch and it entices people into the game. Argentina is a different kettle of fish altogether. They play rugby in a different way. Um, but because the New Zealand game is second, I've no doubt that our, that Andy Farrell's going to have to put out the strongest team for the Japanese game in the opener. So there's no room there for experiment at all that I can see, or precious little. Then New Zealand, and then Argentina at the end of it. And obviously it will depend on the first two goals, how you pick for the third one. So you're bang on. like like, And then you're into the Six Nations after Christmas, and then you're into a tour of New Zealand. So... Like, you know, I, I don't know many games that three and five is eight and uh, three is 11 games this season. And really, it's difficult to see one game of those 11 that you can actually experiment in. So, look, you know, players are going to have to step up in this new United Rugby Championship that we're seeing. Um, that is their uh, forum of uh, their window of opportunity. And, uh, and hopefully that will be the case. I think they are. We're beginning to see little bits, as I say in relation to the outhouse I mentioned earlier, the younger ones. So let's see them stamp their mark on it now for the rest of the season. And they will have opportunities because the Sextons of this world will be away with the Ireland team, obviously playing those games. Okay, so there is plenty of uh, interest over the coming weeks when it comes to Irish rugby, plenty to look forward to. But we are actually going to look back now, Tony Ward. We're going to take a look back, to, back at your career, a trip down memory lane. And I want to start with your earliest memory of sport. Earliest memory of sport. Um, I was a child of the, a, a real child, a baby of the 50s, a child of the 60s, I guess you'd say. So for me, it would have been, um, and, and I was brought up in Leeds. I spent my first five or six years in Leeds. And my, my dad was English, my mum was Irish, and my dad died when I was five. And um, so I always have a very close association and affiliation with Leeds. So we would have come back from Leeds. He died in 1960. So we would have come back in the early 60s. And around that time, Leeds were promoted to the first division, the old first division. So the grow for Leeds is there to this day. I still go over regularly. It was over two weeks ago. I'll be over in a week's time. I, I've always, it's, it's my passion. And I make apologies to nobody for that. Um, so I guess Leeds being promoted. I remember the 65 final against Liverpool, which we lost. Um, England winning the World Cup in 66 was a huge thing. Kenneth Wollstone, he was a great commentator. He used to come into our rooms on Match of the Day at the time and we were beginning to get TV coverage. You know, it was a different era, but these things were happening. Um, back home, I, I'm from Harold's Cross in Dublin 6. So Rovers were my team, Shamrock Rovers. I followed, again, like Leeds. I rode, everyone's second team is Celtic. And as for Celtic, I have an interest in Celtic up obviously, but Rovers were always my second team growing up. Um, so going up to Glenmalure Park, Milltown, uh, because it was so close to me every, we used to walk up and walk back every second Sunday, and Rovers were hot in those days. They were really, really top sides. So, you know, when you put all those things together, and that didn't rule out, I used to go to Croker as well. Uh, <laughs> I remember going to two of Galway's three in a row in the, in the mid-60s. I was brought along and it was just fantastic. Uh, and that's one regret I have. Forgive me if I'm jumping, Marie, because you may come on to it. But it, it's that uh, I see kids today and they have the opportunities to play every sport, every sport. You know, people sometimes talk about rugby still being elitist. 
Um, I'm from a very working class background and I'm proud of my roots. But we didn't have the opportunity back then to play Gaelic games, for example. Football, I would love to have played, but I didn't have that opportunity. It was kind of north side was Gaelic football, south side, rugby, soccer was everywhere. Yes. So soccer would have been my real passion growing up. So I guess a simple answer to your question is, it was definitely through Dalier and Milltown and Talca and all those grounds, Inchicore, Pats. That, that was my early intro. So who's your hero then, or your heroes growing up? Who were the, the people that you were obsessed with? I had quite a few of them, actually. Um, well, in a Leeds context, it was the two, the, the midfield dynamos. It was uh, Giles, because he was one of our own. John Giles, who, who's always been a personal hero, and Billy Bremner. Uh, they, they, they were my two growing up. Um, with Rovers, Frank O'Neill, like Naylor on the wing, was brilliant. He was away with Arsenal for a while. He never made it. But by League of Ireland standards and indeed international, he, he was absolutely fantastic. Um, another hero is much closer to home. You know, when you're in school, you've role models older than you. And two future internationals and, uh, played with me. And that was Shay Deering, who captained Ireland uh, against the All Blacks. I played that game in it was in '78 in in, in Lanza, and uh, and Johnny Maloney like scrum half. They they were just great players, and they were heroes you could touch. Like we were in first year, and they were in fifth and sixth year, and like you, you know, and they, and they were, and you did you aspired to do what they did, whether it was in Donnybrook or you know Kenwood Square, which was our ground in areas or wherever it was, um, and 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 that was fantastic. Um, and, and I'd Welsh heroes too. Sorry if I've gone on about a lot of them, but these were all heroes. Like Wales in the 60s and 70s uh, were just fantastic, the, the way Welsh the Welsh played the rugby. And like to have Gareth Edwards and, and Barry John and Phil Bennett and Gerald Davis, you know, I loved his jinking ability. I always, I always liked these creative players. Uh, and it was kind of... If I'm honest, I, I didn't deliberately model myself on that, but they were my heroes and I liked the way they played and it excited me. Uh, so I guess I was a little bit that way and I was a bit small too. So therefore, for me, it was always about attacking space, whether it was in football. And I was kind of, because I had low centre gravity, it was probably one of my strengths in both games that I, I could sidestep or I could, uh, you know, throw a shape one way and I was gone the other way or I could swerve and all that sort of thing, be, being small. Um, so I, I was brought up, I, I, I guess... Um, I guess on 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 that principle, uh, I even forget the question. <laughs> we were talking about your heroes and and who you were looking at. So, um, but we're, we'll move on now because we're kind of we're we're flowing into the next question anyway with that answer. And that is, when did you first realise that you had sporting talent? Gosh, when did I first realise I had sporting talent? Um, I, you know, probably. Um, Again, today, there's underage teams in every code in, 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 in um, both genders from God knows what up. In our day, there were, there were very few. So when I was playing schoolboy football, soccer, for example, um, there was only an under-15 Ireland schoolboy team, and then there was youth under-18. They were the two. Now you'd have, I don't know, under-40, 50, 60, 70, 80, and there's so many of them. Um, so you really aspired to wanting to be that under-15 team. And soccer was huge in Dublin, in the Dublin District Schoolboy League uh, back in the late 60s, early 70s. And um, in 1970, uh, I managed to make it onto the Ireland Schoolboy team for the three internationals that year against England, Northern Ireland and Wales. Actually, 
the, I, I was 11 on that team and the 10 on that team was Liam Brady. Liam and I were on the same team because Liam played for St. Kevin's over the north side and I played for Rangers and Bushy Park on the south side. But that was the first time when we kind of got to under 15, we would have played against each other. We would have played in those leagues, say under 13, under 14, under 15. But you didn't know if you had any talent, you know, yourself. Um, you, you enjoyed it, so you presumed it's something to offer. But then suddenly at under 15, I was in the schoolboy trials. And I remember playing in a game over in Virginians ground in Glasnevin. I always remember that. I'm playing in Ireland schoolboy trial and then playing in another one in, in CIE ground in Inchicore. And then I was on the Ireland schools to schoolboy team at that age. And then I began to think, God, I must have something. And, and probably another little thing that was good for the ego at the time as well to help that was um, the um, at that age, as you know, you have scouts coming across or based in Ireland representing English teams. Sadly, there was no one from Leeds because I'd been gone like a shot and nothing would have stopped me. But I had um, Bill Darby, who was the Arsenal scout. He, he would have taken Liam and uh, uh, Dave O'Leary and Frank Stapleton and those lads away over those years. And there was Billy Bean with Man United. Um, he, he was the, the, the Man U scout in Ireland uh, at that time. And they were both knocking on my door, literally. And my mum, all she wanted to do was... Get me to get my intercert at the time <laughs> when this was all happening. So no way would she entertain that. And I was devastated because, you, you know yourself, you think of nothing but, you know, the possibility of a professional career and doing what I love and everything. In retrospect, uh, I've no doubt she was right, but I, I, I would love to have had the opportunity to do that. But alas, it wasn't to be. But to answer your question, yeah, that, that that's when I begin to think, well, God, I must have something if these guys are coming after me. So, yeah. Soccer and there was rugby. Um, you were admiring Gaelic games from, from afar. Was there anything else that you would have tried when you were young? Uh, no, the only thing I was disappointed was that I didn't get the chance to play, as I said, Gaelic football. And I really mean that because I, I love Gaelic to this day. And I know people are critical that it's become defensive and I think it's changing again. I love Gaelic football. Uh, um, I, I, I never had the opportunity before I went to college to have a hurl in my hand. So I was a latecomer to hurling. Um, but I love what's going on with Limerick at the moment. And I won't pretend otherwise, as you do as well. Um, uh, and despite the Clare connection as well, you're kind of borderline between the two. Um, but yeah, no, I, I played quite a bit of cricket because of the school I went to as well. I went to St. Mary's and um, I love cricket. I, you know, to this day, I, I really... And you've got to, I think... I played cricket. I think that is one of the games you have to play to really understand it. And uh, because I, I had an early introduction to that, I do understand the game. I never played it at any level. Um, but certainly that was a game that um, that stayed with me. And I love to this day, I love watching cricket, uh, even test cricket, even the four and five day stuff. I went over actually two years ago to Lords for the first time. I was invited over to the Ireland game there. And it was just it was fantastic. I mean, did we ever think we'd have Ireland playing England and cricket at Lords? And, and that's the beauty of where sport evolves and develops. You must have been good at everything, though, like everything that you you, you tried. No, people say that. You want to see me now. I'm trying to play golf now, take it <laughs> up at this stage. And people assume that hand-eye, whatever, positive transfer between sports. 
it, it doesn't work like that. I wish it did. I'm sticking at it and I'm persevering and I'm improving, but very, very slowly. So no, Marie, you're very kind, but that flattery won't work in this case because it's not true. But I was reasonable at a few sports. Mm. Yeah. So what about the rugby then? Like when did the when did that start kind of taking over from soccer and becoming your the main thing that you were doing? Yeah, and I, I think that's that's a huge question um, because even now, if you were to ask me, there are certain regrets I have looking back at choosing between those two sports. I think where the, the big problem came was when I got to sixth year and did my leave insert and then left school. And um, straight away, um, Liam Tui was manager of Shamrock Rovers, uh, Louis Kilcoyne. Kilcoyne's had taken over Rovers at the time. Louis Kilcoyne was the managing director. And the two of them met me at the time. They, they'd been watching me over the previous two years playing youth football. And, and I was in the Ireland youth squad at, at that stage too. And uh, they got me to sign, uh, not got me to sign. I met them and I signed for Rovers as a part-time professional straight out of school. And I did pretty well. I got fairly much straight into the first team the following year. So, you know, th things happened quite quickly. Now, it, it was a less successful Rovers team than the one I had followed in the 60s. It was some, something of a lean period. But to play for my boyhood club, the, the team, to be in Milltown, like to me, that was my theatre of dreams. Like Milltown was a magic stadium. I think that's one of the tragedies of Irish football that was no longer there. But to play in Milltown, four rovers, to wear the green and white, like Billy Lord was a famous um, uh, masseuse, for want of a better word, sponge man, he used to run on. Billy would have the fag in the mouth when he was running onto the pitch. And he, he was famous with all the rovers teams over the years. And I like getting treatment for, you know, during the week when you get a knock between games and you put Billy in Milltown, he was doing it to him, having the most incredible conversations with him. And I was pinching myself, is this me you here? And he's rubbing my leg and he's giving me his knowledge. Billy Lord, you know, that that's how much Rovers meant to me. So anyway, yeah, I, 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 so I decided at that stage I was going to soccer route and all my friends went and played under 19, under 20 and universities and St. Mary's old boys club but I soccer was the game I wanted to play so I had a few years in League of Ireland and then I went to NCPE with your dad uh, Tim was there as well and um, and it, it was a new concept in Irish education never mind Irish sport it was fantastic to have um, to have this wonderful campus at Plassey in Limerick a four-year course studying physical education and doing what you love uh, now, it's not the same as playing as a professional, but it's as close as you could get. And that, to me, was magic. And what I found um, was that, you know, say say on a um, weekend, I, I go up with Rovers, and if we were playing up in Bally Buffet, playing Finn Harps, or if we were playing uh, Waterford at the other end, country, Kilcone, or Cork wasn't too bad for getting back to Limerick. But to try and get from those places back to college, on Sunday was when games were played then, and a Sunday night was Mission Impossible. So um, I arrived down around lunchtime on Monday, and I was doing well. So lectures were suffering on the back of it. So at the same time, coincidentally, Gary Owen, who had an outstanding team at that stage, uh, their out half who played for him as well, Johnny Moroni, broke a leg in a league final against Cork. I remember it was February 1975, I can remember that. 
And um, Shay Deering was playing for Gary Owen and he knew I was out at the PE college because his twin brothers had been in class. They were brilliant rugby players as well, both wing forwards, both played for Leinster at schoolboy and underage level. Um, so Shay knew me. He told Gary Owen I was out there and Gary Owen approached me. And I remember Marie, just shows you how fit we were back in the day. I remember in February of 1975 playing a game for Rovers against Home Farm in Talca on a Friday night, eight o'clock kickoff. I played the full 90 minutes. Uh, and then the following day at three o'clock, playing in Lansdowne Road for the Gary Owen first team, my first game of rugby since I left school against Wanderers in Lansdowne Road. And, um, and you know, there was no, no problem doing that, it, you know, just not even 24 hours apart. But I had a decision to make after that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I went with rugby and gave it a go for a few years. So that was the first big decision I had to make. But I still dabbled in the in the soccer along the way. So when you had made that decision, and, and obviously you had you were committing to that, and um, very quickly, I'd imagine it got serious and the and the stakes got high. What did you have to work on on your on your game to improve the most? Like what were the the, the core skills that you developed um, during those years? Yeah, again, I was lucky. I, I found, um, and I've been quoted saying this many times over the years, I found, I kind of alluded to it already about this thing about attacking space and because of my centre of gravity and that. Um, I, I found that the transfer between soccer and rugby was quite simple because it, effectively the principle was the same. You're trying to create space for others and for yourself. Um, so I, I didn't have any great difficulty there. The real difficulty I had it, it was a strange one. It was more metabolic, if that's the word of metabolism, in that um, in order to play rugby, I needed to be that little bit heavier, whereas in order to play soccer, particularly because I tended to play wide on the left and right, um, you, you didn't need to be carrying excess, excess poundage. So trying to keep that balance was what I found very, very difficult in how you prepared for the two different sports. And there are, I mean, you look at the body types of rugby players now compared to mm. footballers, there's, there's no no comparison. Back then, they were much closer and different times and different norms, I guess. But th- that was what, it, and that's a strange one. That's what I found the most difficult. Most everything else came kind of naturally because I'd always done it, you know, since I was eight, nine years of age, both games. Yeah, so it was, it was, it was normal to you, even though, even thinking about something like that now, it just seems like it would never happen in a million years. And even just hearing you talking about the, the crossover between the League of Ireland and rugby, the perceptions of the two sports now just seem so um, different that it's hard to imagine anyone kind of nearly even having a um, a love in sync with both of them as well, which is, is, is quite an interesting um, an interesting subject and, and, and something that uh, could be worth exploring in the future as well. So just in terms then of your, your career, your rugby, your development, was there a moment when you thought, OK, like I, I've made it here, like I am... I am one of the best. I'm a top class rugby player now. I'm I'm in the elite. Was there any moment where it just kind of dawned on you how far you'd come and what you'd achieved? Yeah, it, it was funny. It, it, it was actually like steps. Like 1975, I said, that's when I was in first year in the National College of Physical Education, which became Dolman College, now the University of Limerick. Um, in first year, um, I ended up on the Gary Owen team. I played four games and we'd won the cup. 
we, we beat Cork Con down in, in Musgrave Park uh, to win the cup for the first time. I think it was over 40 years since the Limerick team had gone to Cork and won the cup. And it meant very little to me because I, I was only getting to know. I didn't even know that Sundays well were from Cork or that Bohemians were from Limerick. I was learning all this as I was going, you know, at the time. It was a whole new experience. But before I knew it, I had a cup medal and I, I hadn't blinked. And that was in... Um, that was in, in first year in college. In fact, a, a funny one there, I remember, um, a very quick one. Brian Mullins was in college with me, uh, as you know. And um, Brian, uh, the dubs had just come to power at that stage. Myself and Fran Wright were the, the two dubs we had in college at the time. And I remember Brian went away on a, uh, with the dubs to America, you know, after Christmas when they went over. And he came back and uh, that, after that Cork Con game, I think the Independent gave me Sports Star of the Week for... Gary Owen went in the cup down and thing. And Brian obviously in the plane said to me on the way back, he says, what have you been at while I've been away? You know, in other words, and I could understand the question because you're kind of a nobody in college. Mm-hmm. You know, I hate using that expression, but and then suddenly you're somebody that's appearing in the paper. So that happened very quickly. That was in first year. In second year, uh, I was picked on the Munster team the following season and I ended up playing against Australia and a few interpros. Uh, in third year, I was on the Ireland B team, it was called then, which is the Ireland A team. We played France and Dijon, I remember. And then in fourth year, I was on the full Ireland team. So it was meteoric. It was steps, first, second, third, fourth year was. So it, it was an easy decision to, to make at that stage, I guess, to run with rugby because it was happening. But I did still, I played for soccer in that time. Um, Sean Thomas was manager of Rovers. And uh, he had taken over from Liam Tui and Sean came and d- down to see me. And I played a few games over Christmas when I'd be up home for hours because I, I loved it. I just loved playing football, you know. Um, so, yeah, that, that was um, there were a few big decisions that had to be made around that time. Yeah. It sounds like a lot, a lot of fun, to be sure. Um, so what about setbacks then? Like, did you have for you, what was the, the, the toughest thing that you had to overcome in your career? No question. And I sound going to sound like a bitter old grumpy man now. Um, being dropped in Australia in 79, um, and I've, I've said this many times, uh, and I don't labour the point, it's nothing to do with Ollie, nothing to do with the fact that he came in, played so well, Ireland won the test. It's the way it was handled or mishandled, I say. It was a very early lesson for me before I got into teaching and coaching to learn how not to treat anybody and that's the one feeling of bitterness I have to this day it was appalling there was no communication I like Marie I couldn't tell you to this day a fair idea because I I, (laughs) over the years but I couldn't tell you why I was dropped I'd have my own theories on it you know things that I couldn't do that I might have been better at doing but that didn't enter into the equation it was just the way it was and that's the way rugby worked back then there was no accountability to players at all. If players didn't do what they were meant to do, they were dropped and somebody else was brought in. And that fear factor ruled in rugby through the IRFU back then and let no one pretend otherwise. So that would be my only... Uh, and, and I'm sure I sound bitter. Uh, and I won't say I don't mean to because I'm just being honest. Um, it was the way it was ha- mishandled. It, and when you're so far from home, like out in Australia, and I was a confidence player, it's the way I am. I, I by dint of personality, I'd be a shy person, um, but and I'd be quite, uh, you know, uh, I suppose introverted is the word. Um, and when I was out there so far away from home, 
you just felt the world was against you, like, because we didn't have social media, like our phone calls, Marie, back then. You know, you, 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 our, our daily allowance was four Irish poons a day. And what we used to do, do was save up our four poons every day. And then at the weekend, you could afford a phone call home. That's the way it worked. And uh, so you weren't on the end of social media. And you didn't realize, I had no idea that there was a big Ferrari back here over me. Dropped. No idea. Like, it was only when I came back, I found out just how big, you know, the thing had become and, and developed in the years that followed. But it, it was that, because the one thing I always say, and I'm, I'm proud of myself, if I might say, without sounding like I'm tapping myself on the shoulder, on the back, if I say that I, I managed to work my way back into the Irish teams with three clubs, with Gary Owen, with St Mary's and Greystones over the years, over a 10-year period. And um, and that was, you know, I, I, I worked hard to do that. But definitely the confident player who went out to Australia in 79, he never turned. I, I, I was never the same player again. And, um, I, I, and I had no shame in saying that. It just impacted on me that much. Did you fall out of love with the game a bit as well because of that? If I'm honest, yeah, I think that's a very good question. Although the following year, funnily enough, I was picked for the Lions. Um, I wasn't picked directly. The outhouse were Garrett Davis of Wales and uh, Ali. And they both got injured very early on. And I got the nod to go out as the third out half and I played the first test. And um, So, you know, that was that was great as well. And the following year I was back in the Ireland team. So I was in and out, but it did. And... And then in the in the early eighties, Marie, and and I I think this answers the question, uh, or the answer I'm trying to give you. I think I think this reflects that there were great years for Limerick Football Club. Like when Owen Owen Hand came to Limerick, like Owen was just he was inspirational when he came down, and and the difference he made, and and Dave Mahidi assisted him. Dave's a very close friend of mine, as you know, and having the two of them with Limerick and they wanted me, I was a great Limerick squad, like with great players at the time. Like I could run them all off. Joe Mahoney, Tony Meany, guys who were no longer with us, Alfin Nuke and Pat Nolan, uh, Des Kennedy, uh, Johnny Walsh, all great players. And they all were there at the same time. Kevin Fitz in goal, all guys I'd watched over the years. And what I loved about that group with me was it was really difficult for them because they knew that rugby was my number one game. But Owen and Dave wanted me to play when I was available. And the lads accepted that, which wasn't easy, you know. So I'd only come in and, like, I, like my last game for Limerick was against Man United. Um, um, the friendlies I played with Tottenham in, in Spurs in, in, um, with our delays and V and all those guys in, in, in Tottenham Park in the, in the early 80s and winning the FAI Cup. I played in all the Cup games bar one. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I... I um, where other other times there'd be a rugby tour on. I missed, I played in Europe, I know, with Limerick against Southampton home and away. And then I remember the following year we were to play Alkmaar in um, Holland and I had a monster tour to Romania. So it was tough on the Limerick lads when I had to go off and do that. But I had no choice. So I fell a little bit out of rugby at that period, Marie. Yeah, definitely. And I was just so delighted. I loved playing my, my years playing football with Limerick as well. They were great years. Are you so much passion for it. Like you can still tell. I can't even imagine what you were like when you when you were younger and in the thick of it. If you this much passion for it still, Tony. So when you think about everyone that you met along the way and the different people that you encountered, coaches on the field, off the field, who had the biggest impact on your career? 
Oh, gosh. Um, if I was put it down to one person, and I've mentioned him already, I, I would say PJ Smith. PJ sadly is no longer with us. PJ played rugby for UCD and back to himself. He started lecturing in NCPE the same day I started uh, as a student there. And I remember standing with him in line a day or two and we got chatting straight away. And I just found PJ fascinating. PJ was a giver. He'd give you his time. He'd, he, he had a passion. The, the word you've just used, he had that for his profession and what he did. And he loved passing on knowledge and he had a passion for rugby. He ended up playing with me in Gary Owen. He shifted from Bechtov down um, to, to Gary Owen and played prop there. And PJ was such a huge influence. Sadly, he's no longer with us. He, he died of a brain tumour a few years ago. But himself and Dave Weldrick, who sadly passed away last year as well, Dave died tragically uh, down in Kilkee. They were both so far ahead of their time. Like, Dave, you talk to any of the lads, Larry McCarthy now is, is present, you know, Larry was in college with us, us as well. And you talk to them about the influence that... that um, I'm sure Pat Spillane, Mick Spillane, Jimmy Dean, and they'll all say the same to you. The influence Dave Weldrick had on them because he, he, soccer was Dave's game. Uh, he, he was St. Pat's, would have been his club in Dublin. Uh, Dave was from Walkinstown, Dave Weldrick. And um, he, he, he would transfer the soccer principles to Gaelic and they worked. And, and Thoman College, as it was then called when they won it, won the All-Ireland club title. Uh, while we were all in college. Yeah. Uh, sadly, I, I didn't play, I wasn't. Yeah. Uh, the closest I got, Marie, was in the Gaelic grounds of the Ennis Road for one of the games along the way. I was wearing one of those white coats holding up the flag. <laughs> the That's as close as I got. <laughs> but um, no, uh, Dave, Dave Weldrick and, and PJ Smith were, mm. were hugely in, influential um, on, on me in those days. And, uh, and I'm so grateful. I know Eddie O'Sullivan says the same. Like, yeah. Eddie probably went a different path in the end and that it was more to coaching that I hate the expression made his name afterwards because Eddie was a good rugby player as well and uh, Eddie will say the same to you about um, about PJ as will Liam Hennessy I know who got involved in the IRFU subsequently Liam was a pole vaulter when he was in college but that's the impact PJ had on so many people so yeah he, he, he was numero uno for me. Yeah I've heard dad talking about them the, both of them actually on numerous occasions as well so he Definitely, they definitely imparted a huge amount of, of knowledge and shaped so many sports people's careers as well. It's it's pretty fascinating. So then, in terms of performances, is there one that stands out in your mind um, in any sport that when you were that kid playing um, playing at home or, or playing outside that you thought I want to be like that when I grow up? Is there one performance that defines everything that you're about? I, I, I struggle with that honestly, um, genuinely. I, I know. Things that would never have been seen. I, I know that I, 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 when I left college in '78, I, I would have been in in my prime physical condition, and I know those years around '77, '78, '79, '80, around that time, uh, time I was dropped ironically in Australia, that playing for my club for Gary Owen, um, I, I, I definitely felt that I, I played some really good games, and not good, not in terms of scoring points, or because I was a goal kicker as well. So it, it wasn't so much that. It, it was um, just I, I felt there was a, there was a, a more completeness. It, it, if I can borrow an expression from football again, Ajax in the early seventies I loved. You may have heard this concept. They had this beautiful concept of total football, and 
in terms of my total rugby, I just felt that I was, I was more of a complete player around that time. Um, so then I know people will talk about Munster beating the All Blacks and, uh, you know, some internationals that I played in as well. And, and they were huge. Yeah. I, I, I tell you what the most satisfying one probably is. And, and again, you alluded to it there when you said when you were a child looking and wondering, could you be like that? It was when I was first picked for Ireland in 78, in January 78. It was against Scotland in Lansdowne Road. And I remember it was in the old Lansdowne and obviously, and down at the far end, there used to be a non-covered stand way down where the Lansdowne path was down the far end, wanders up this end. And we used to tug out there and then there was a car park at the back where you'd go out and practice your line outs and warm up before the game. But also the band used to, the, you know, the, the pipe band used to practice there as well before the Garda band. And I remember going out there and you're so nervous before your first game because you're saying to yourself, God, am I up to this? You know, and having watched it over the years, I, I used to go very early to the schoolboy end uh, with my schoolboy tickets in, in the 60s. Uh, so to be suddenly in, in Lansdowne Road about playing a game and you're thinking, am I up to playing this? And, and then I remember hearing the bagpipes and, and it was a neary sound when he was practicing, the guy in the bagpipes. And I remember, honestly, and this sounds terrible, macho rugby player thinking to himself, I want my mummy. <laughs> I remember thinking that at the time. Why am I here? But I, from somewhere, and this sounds perverse it's an almost contradiction from somewhere when I went on to uh, a field whether it was rugby or soccer uh, the shy introverted guy was left behind and I just got a confidence from somewhere that I loved being out there I just loved it and and I, I it was after that game um that first game that's probably an obvious thing to say and not what I, I know you're digging for but it, that's when the self-belief came in I thought Hey, that was fantastic! I don't want to. I don't want to miss this. I want to keep doing this, you know. And I did for two years, and then the Australian thing came along. But anyway, that's why I'm the bitter old grump I am now. <laughs> what about successes? Because you had so many of them. For you, what was your your greatest one? Greatest success? I, I probably the one I said there, and I know it's not for Ireland because the ultimate thing is to play for Ireland. And, and when I played in that Lions game. At a personal level, I scored a record number of points for a Lions test player. I think it beat Tommy Kiernan, I think, had been the previous holder to them. But I think it has to be Munster beating the All Blacks. Um, and we knew beating New Zealand was big at the time. Mm -hmm. But I think it, that it took so many years before a men's team beat them. The under-20s did once and the ladies' team did around 2014, I think. But no men's team had done it until Chicago a few years ago. I was over at that game too, as it happened. I'm delighted to have been there. I, I, I think because of that, um, and, and it became myth and legend, you know, whether it was John Breen, Breen through his plays, through the various books that have been written about it over the years. Uh, but it was more than that. It, it was like it was the only game they lost on that tour, you know, 17 out of 18 games they won. It was the first ever clean sweep by an all-black team. We held them scoreless in Thoman Park. We didn't concede, and this for a monster team was a phenomenon that's forgotten. We didn't concede a kickable penalty in the entire game. And like that discipline was unheard of for monster teams. And for that, Tommy Kiernan takes immense uh, credit. But the fact that it was in Thoman Park, the high, and it was a different Thoman Park back then, but don't let anyone tell you that it wasn't the same shrine 
that it is today. It wasn't as elaborate, wasn't as fancy, um, but it was a very, very special place to play because it was an umbilical cord between the crowd and the players. And we were acutely aware of that. And you recognise the faces in the crowd because you'd meet them around Limerick. That's what's so special about Limerick as a sporting capital, in my opinion, and to this day. And the fact that it was in, in Coleman Park, I remember even when we went into the restroom afterwards, which never happened before, certainly in my experience, the crowd wouldn't leave. They insisted we came back out onto the pitch, which we did. And and just when you put all that together, and I, I, I think, Marie, I've, I've repeated, I, I, I've said this before, but it's a little thing that happened subsequently. Um, the following morning, you know, you, you knew we'd achieved something, but honestly, as one of those involved, I wasn't aware quite how big, obviously how big it was going to become, but how big it was at the time. And I remember the next morning we were staying in the old Jury's Hotel. I think it's the Strand now on the Ennis Road. And um, the following morning I got a phone call in my room um, and it was Mike Murphy on the on RT on the radio. He used to do the morning programme. And uh, he used to slag off Limerick at the time with the yowza, yowza, yowza. And I love Mike. I think Mike's great. So Mike rang me up and he said, look, will you, um, can we do an interview about the game yesterday? And the thing is that, gee, you know, because I've just woken up and I'm thinking, wow, you know, God, me thinking to myself, is that big? So that's when I think mm-hmm. the penny dropped that, yeah, we, we had done something special. And we went close four days later. There were five of us played for Ireland against New Zealand on the Saturday. Shay Deering, as I said, was captain. I know Colin Patterson and Terry Kennedy made their debuts that day as well. But it was six all, and in injury time, coming up to injury time, Andy Dalton, their hooker, scored a try down in the corner, uh, down at the Lansdowne Road end, and they beat us 10-6. So we were had gone very close again. And uh, But, you know, it's funny, in retrospect, that would probably have taken from... Yeah, yeah, true, actually, yeah. 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 <laughs> so so maybe it was predestined, that's how it's <laughs> Anyway, that was probably the biggest, even though it wasn't an international... He was telling you, Jill, though, what about um, your legacy? This is always a hard one for people. You know, what do you think your legacy is going to be? Gosh, um, legacy is going to be, I don't know, as a player, and I'd like to think as a coach, um, the one thing I've always tried to emphasize is positivity. I I don't get... um, you know, I, I just can't understand people slagging people off for the sake of it. Uh, and I do say for the sake of it. Um, like, w- maybe it was the Australian experience I had, but I would never after, and I coached for many, many years at schools level um, in, in various schools in St. Andrews, St. Gerrard's, etc. And, I, you know, whenever a player played badly, he didn't need to be told that, no more than I did if I played a, ba- a bad game. But it's the way you do it, and it's when you do it, it's how you do it. And I learned that. So I'd like to think as a coach, that's my l- legacy. And I, I preached that. I've been director of rugby in, in chairs. I stepped down during the pandemic, but for the last 20 odd years. And that's the one thing I always emphasized that um, to the coaches, that it's vital that kids, I don't care what age they are, how good, how potentially great they might be. If they're dropped or they're left out, they need to be told why. Mm-hmm. And, and their parents should be informed as well to encourage them to try and get back in again. So I'd like to think it's that in terms, and people do come up to me today, Maureen, I I get great satisfaction out of it, as I know your your dad does from his time uh, coaching, uh, teaching in St. Clements, that the number of kids who come up to you, and uh, that he would have coached athletically, and and, uh, for me in rugby, um, and thank you 
for that, for what I'm talking about, for being so positive and encouraging. And they got involved in the game in different areas. They may not have been on the first team in a, in a rugby club, but they could have been a water boy. They could have been doing the media. Um, they could have been training. There's so many different things that they, they got involved in. But you kind of ignited a little spark, and, and that meant a lot. As a player, um, just I played as, as I watched the game. I, I just loved... I, I, Look, I'm not going. To, we're not going to finish this on a negative note, but I, I just hate certain things I'm seeing about rugby at the moment and the way it's going. I hate the way the game has been played. I hate this box kick wherever it came from. Scrum halves never kicked in my day, um, very seldom. Now it's all they do, or the vast majority of them. And that's why teams like Japan, like New Zealand, even the Premiership in England now, they're trying to do it, to play a more exciting brand of rugby, to entice kids into the game. And if there's nothing else, I'd like to think that players that excited me, that I did a little bit of that along the way, because it's the only way I could enjoy the game. And at the end of the day, that is, yes, you can make a living, and I didn't, because there was no professionalism when I was playing, um, but the pleasure, the enjoyment, and going back to the very start, as I said to you, when you meet people all these years on, and that love of sport has grown even more, and your affection and respect from, for each other has grown accordingly. That's a pretty decent legacy, I think. Absolutely. And I think that's the perfect way to leave it. Tony Ward, thank you so much for your time and for all those great memories as well that you will have given so many people over the years. And I've enjoyed this so much, just hearing the love that you have for sport because it's just, you know, you talk about meeting people, you're now meeting the children of people that you're friends with and they're interviewing you. So it just shows that you can pass it on and it can help people as well. Just have that love for it and, and an enjoyment and hopefully someday I'll be passing it on to my children and I'll be telling them about that PE class and um, you and my dad and all the people that you'll have met along the way. So Tony, thank you so much and thank you everyone as well for listening and watching. Please like, subscribe and leave a review.